Welcome back, everybody, to the Fantasy Golf Bag Podcast. Yes, you heard that right, the Fantasy Golf Bag Podcast 2021. We have come and gone and come back again, and uh, excited for, I'm going to solo host this one, so bear with me as we try to get back into the, the swing of things for, for FGB, but appreciate you guys tuning in to this week's podcast for the 2021 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. This show is going to kind of encapsulate a lot of things. Um, I'm going to kind of go back a little bit, talk about fantasygolfbag.com, so bear with me before we get to any type of course talk you know, relative to DFS or betting or whatever you want to, whatever interests you the most for this, uh, for this week or this podcast. But, uh, yeah. So again, I'm your host, Drew Matthews, also known as Red Kachik. Um, for those who don't know, I won, I won the 2018 millionaire maker at the masters on DraftKings, uh, which was obviously pretty nice. Uh, would like to do that again this week. I'm sure some of you are listening, wanting to do that this week as well. Uh, hopefully all of you, to be honest. But uh, yeah, so I founded Fantasy Golf Bag in 2018 with a, a buddy, Logan Blondell, who was a fellow PGA, or not a PGA Tour professional, a fellow professional golfer. Um, he played a couple starts on the Corn Ferry Tour. I never got to the Corn Ferry Tour, but was always kind of on the cusp and uh, had a couple of shoulder surgeries and gave it up. But you can read the whole article. I posted a, a long excerpt of kind of my path from fantasy golf bag to FTN, the fantasy golf bag kind of re-emerging a little bit. And you can find that at fantasygolfbag.com. Um, you don't even have to subscribe. I mean, it's fantasy golf bag right now is hundred percent free. There's, there's nothing to subscribe to. If you want to purchase stuff on our, on our shop, on our pro shop, that always helps. We have some t-shirts. Um, hopefully we sell out of the ones remaining. We can order some new ones, um, some golf balls, some hats, um, very basic stuff, but, there's nothing to subscribe to. It's just kind of uh, what I want to do. I want to talk about golf, and that's where FantasyGolfBag.com is coming back into my life. Uh, FTN has been great, and I'm still there doing DFS content along with Skyler and Axis. So if you guys want to kind of learn more about some DFS or some betting picks, stuff like that, I would definitely refer you to FTNDaily.com or FTNBets.com. Um, this is not a paid advertisement. It's just obviously I, I'm working for FTN and, and Kevin Adams, Elliot Chris, and all the guys at FTN are great. But uh, this will just be specific to kind of what I want to talk about. And this week with a major, I, I've been really excited. I mean, U.S. Open is awesome. Let's be honest. the The idea I I started trying to qualify for the U.S. Open when I was a I think I was a junior. Uh, probably a sophomore in high school. Um, I think I finagled my handicap just enough to be able to qualify for the 1.4 handicap or whatever it is. And um, I think I shot probably 78 or 77, non-competitive for my first try. The next year I got into a playoff with Billy Horschel um, and lost the playoff on the third hole. So that was kind of fun and uh, was first alternate into the sectional qualifier. And I stood on the tee all morning waiting to get my name called in case someone backed out and never got it. Um, and that was, it was a great experience. I mean, I was obviously disappointed I didn't get in, but to be able to sit there and think like, man, I could get my name called. And if I play good for 36 holes, I could be playing in the U.S. Open next to Tiger Woods. It was, and obviously as a high schooler, that was pretty cool. Um, the next year I did qualify for the sectional qualifying. I got through locals with a 68 or 69, something like that. And, uh, Shot 77, 73, I think. Uh, don't quote me, but it's, it's got to be within a shot or two of what I shot in the sectionals at Jupiter Hills. 
and missed by like five shots, six shots. And uh, Daniel Berger actually won that qualifier and got in. And we know where, what he's done with his career. All the FGB guys obviously are are big Berger fans. <laughs> so um, that's kind of my story with the U.S. Open. I know that's, that's that really wasn't what I wanted to talk about, but um, just as a point of reference, the U.S. Open has always been really cool. And uh, the idea of anybody, you know, with a handicap, quote unquote, uh, the correct handicap, I guess, you can go to locals, you can play well, qualify for sectionals, and then in two rounds in one day, you could qualify for the United States Open, playing against the top PGA Tour players in the entire world. Um, it was just, it's just a really cool concept. So I always, I always like the U.S. Open qualifying from May all the way through to the U.S. Open in June. It's, it's just a really fun time. So I wanted to get this podcast out there, talk golf in general. And then at the end, I'll talk a little bit about some like value plays and some guys I like. But uh, for most of my content, you can still find that at ftndaily.com. And I am on the Wednesday live stream every other week with uh, Dom Centurino and Sky is on the alternate weeks. So find my content over there for the DFS stuff and betting stuff. But this week, I do want to talk about more golf. And Fantasy Golf Bag is going to be that. So check out FantasyGolfBag.com. If you see me tweet about it, you know, retweet it. That always helps. Again, there's nothing to subscribe to, nothing to pay for. Just me wanting to talk about golf again. Um, so let's get going. Big story this last week was uh, Garrick Higo. Uh, he won the Palmetto Championship. I talked about him on the live stream last Wednesday. Uh, and the dude's a stud. So what I wanted to talk about a little bit with Higo was... I, I really think highly of him. Uh, if I ever disagree with Sky, it's about 16-year-olds or 18-year-olds skipping college golf to turn pro when it's, it's just the wrong choice. I mean, maybe go maybe go to school for a year like Jordan Spieth and then say, yeah, you know, I'm ready to turn pro. Okay, but yeah, don't go from junior golf and think you're going to be a PGA Tour pro. You're really probably going to just run your head into the ground like a lot of guys that won the USAM back in 2000, 2010, thought they could just you know jump out into professional golf and they lose their status, they lose interest, and then now they're not on the they're on any tour. So that's the only time I would ever disagree with Sky. Other than that, he is spot on with data. He's spot on with any of these uh, guys up and coming from the European tour. And Garrett Higo is one of those guys. I, I just want to kind of bring up like. He's a he's an interesting guy in terms of where he's come and gone. Where so he turned pro in 2019. He's very young. Um, his first his first tour event for I think it was like the Sunshine Tour. He shot 74, 78. So like for most people listening, probably like yeah, that's that's not very good. Um, you know that's 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 pretty bad for a professional golfer, right? His last five starts, so like this year he just took off on another level, and I followed his, his he won like two events um, earlier this summer, so like May, uh, April, May, on the European tour, and some of them were in like dominating fashion, so I started paying a little more attention to like how his game actually was, like is, are these guys just spitting a bit, or is he really this good? It was mostly just he's really that good, so um the Austrian golf open is kind of where I'll pick up. He finished fourth and then won the next week. Then he finished eighth. Then he won. Then he finished 64th in the PGA championship. So again, first time on U.S. soil that I know of, at least for certain in professional, <coughs> professional golf. PGA championship, best field in the best uh, players in the world playing along with uh, PGA professionals, which I won't get into. But uh, made the cut, finished 64th, respectable. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect much from him his first time over here. I mean, the travel and all that stuff for that guy from South, 
from South Africa, played on the European tour. It's got to be a lot. And then he tees it up in the Palmetto, gets a price bump on DK to 9000 which it seems like most people didn't overlook that. I, I feel like you know a couple of years ago, people would just be like, I, I don't know this guy's name, so I'm not going to play him. But yeah, 9000 wins the Palmetto Championship against uh, DJ, who kind of fell apart at the end there. And just a class act of Chesson Hadley, half joking there. Um, <laughs> but Garrett Kigo is a real deal. So I do have a what's in the bag on fantasy golf bag. He's pretty much titleless through the bag. Um, but yeah, that, I thought that was very interesting. A guy that turned pro two years ago, obviously with COVID last year, he didn't play a ton. So I, I just don't know. He was obviously a good enough player to turn professional. He got on the, the Sunshine Tour. He didn't get any direct access to the European Tour or the PGA Tour or... Like Rory McIlroy got it got into the U.S. or the British Open when he was like 17 or 16. Um, yeah, 74-78 from his opening two rounds professional golf to winning three of his last five starts between the European Tour and now the PGA Tour. It's pretty impressive. So I uh, wanted to give a hat tip to Garrett Kigo. Looking forward to him this week. He's going to be super popular. DK came out with pricing before the win. He's at 7,200, and he's going to be... 30 plus percent owned in most tournaments. So uh, good luck with that. I think I think it's probably worth betting more than playing at the ownership. I, I mean, I like I said, just talked about him for three minutes there. And I think he's a great player, but 30% ownership at, at the price, maybe in cash is probably the play. But outside of that, I'll, I'll be skipping. Um, but yeah, we can go ahead and talk about the U.S. Open. So again, trying to get in into the wheel or into the swing of things. And uh I think I think that's where I'll pick up a segment that I started back uh, in 2019 called "What Shanks My Balls" or "What Shanks My Ball," whatever you want to. I, I can't remember what I called it, but um, let's go ahead and dive into that. Wrong. Yeah, I'm watching. That ain't no chili dipper. Looks like you got El Jose. You know, the Laros. You know the S word. What am I doing wrong? I don't know. The shanks are like a virus. They just show up. Nobody can figure them out. So this segment is basically like, what's something that's going on in the world of golf that's just really irritating um, to me personally? And you guys could completely disagree, which I don't really care. Um, agree, which was fine. I, I don't really care. It's just kind of what I want to talk about and kind of vent about. And the thing that I, I think is hilarious is the Bryson and Brooks confrontation from the PGA Championship which was hilarious, and I have the video up on fantasygolfbag.com, and you can go rewatch that. That actually is really funny. I probably watched that 50 times. Um, I, I, it's hard to describe. Just go check it out. <laughs> it is, if you haven't seen that, that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen a PGA Tour player do, react as, comment, everything in an interview, even though it was recorded. Um, that was pretty funny. But where it escalates from there is now everyone wants to see a Bryce and Brooks pairing. And my question is like, really, what do you expect from these guys if they do get paired together? Let's say they don't get paired on Thursday, Friday, and they get paired on, on Saturday, or they get paired on Sunday. They're in like the final group. Or, I mean, that would be pretty cool. But let's just say they get paired one of these days. What do you expect them to do? They're not going to get in a fight. They're not going to verbally assault each other. Like Brooks has his caddy. They're standing on the tee together with, with Bryson and his caddy. They're going to tee off. They're going to walk down the fairway separately. They're going to hit their shots. They're going to get on the green together. 
hit their putts, go back to their caddy, walk to the next hole. Like there's, it's going to be very uneventful outside of a, I can't even imagine them quipping on any tee shot or any putt. Like it just, unless they agree upon it ahead of time, which I think would be super ingenuine. Uh, I don't see it. I just don't see the, the big draw. So I know a lot of people are hoping for the draw and I, and I, I think it would be fun to watch them play together, but I just don't know what you guys expect. Like they're, you're playing golf and you have a caddy. It's not even like they're riding in the cart together, which would be a completely different topic. Now, now we can talk about some things, but, uh, yeah, so that would be the one thing in the last week. Um, myself, I, I would love to see them paired together for round one and two, but I'm not going to get, you know, a hard on about if these guys are going to paired together and how great it's going to watch them, you know, hate each other for four and a half hours. No, We've watched Patrick Reed play with everybody in the world, and everybody in the world hates him, and he's never had an issue. So, um, yeah, that would be my only comment on going into the U.S. Open. A lot of people want to see the Brooks-Bryson pairing. I don't blame you, but let's let's just take a step back. I mean, what, what do you really expect to happen? They're going to play Thursday, Friday together, and that's it. It's, it's going to be very uneventful. Maybe some Twitter banter after the fact for the PIP fund. Because who doesn't want forty million dollars? But that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much it. So let's talk about the golf course, the stuff you really care about. Um, the U.S. Open this year is going to be played at Torrey Pines South Course, La Jolla, California. It's going to be a par 71, 7,685 yards. I mean, honestly, the last couple of events outside of the Charles Schwab have been over seventy five hundred yards. So very long golf course we've seen played the last uh, the last couple weeks. And uh, the, the biggest difference that I will point out for this week, obviously the Farmers is played here every year in January. Um, so I would cert- it's a pretty strong field. So honestly, looking to that field and the results is not a bad idea. It will play a little bit different. Um, obviously the greens are still gonna be Poana, but from, from what I understand in the fairway, the uh, fairway, the tee boxes, the approaches, tee boxes don't really matter, but the fairways in the, the around the green are gonna be more Kakuya and Bermuda than ryegrass, which you normally see in January with the overseed. So me personally, I don't, I don't really take much with that information, but did want to point that out that, you know, January, the golf course is going to be more sticky with the ryegrass. This course should be a little bit firmer and faster. I mean, we remember 2008 with when Tiger won, you remember the last green that he made the putt on was super dried out. And again, that's just the green, not the fairways and stuff. But overseeded rye is very sticky. The rough is very sticky. Um, it should be a little bit firmer this week. Maybe guys run it into the rough a little bit more often. But that's the biggest difference is it probably just doesn't play as long as it does in January with the uh, the ryegrass being so sticky. Looking at leaderboards, like this last year or this year, Patrick Reed won at 14 under. Uh, the year prior, Mark Leachman won at 15 under. Justin Rose at 21 under. And then Jason Day at 10 under. So you get an idea. It's going to be, for US Open, it should be around 5 under, I'm guessing. Winning score, 5 to 8. If it goes lower than that, I think the USGA tries to get crazy on, on Sunday. If it's harder than that, then I think they probably messed up on Thursday or Friday prepping and getting things going. Um, I do, like I said, because they play this course every single year, it is interesting to look at some of the leaderboards and, and who else finished there. Like just the winner doesn't really matter. Um, but if you go down the board, like this year, you look at Patrick Reed who won, then you see Hovland, Shoffley, Finau, Zalatoris, John Rahm. Um, and you got Ryan Palmer mixed in there, T2, which he's had a great year. 
You go the year prior, you got John Rahman second, McElroy in third, Patrick Reed again in sixth, Finau in sixth, um, Tiger there at ninth, which is not surprising, um, and Mark Leishman there in first. So you'll see a lot of the same names that pop up every single year. They play this golf course well. Rom should be pretty popular because of that reason. McElroy is kind of a guy that'll stand out a little bit in terms of ownership because he's he's had a, a crazy up and down year. I mean, he's hot and cold, mostly cold. People don't want to play him. And then he shows up at a course like Quail Hollow, which he had a great course record, and he wins. Now he comes to Farmers, who he's had a great course record for the most part. And we can see how he does in the U.S. Open, which he's done fairly well in the U.S. Open in the past. Um, so be careful of that. Uh, Tony Finau should be pretty popular. I think he's had a couple top tens in the Farmers um, over the last five years. Same with Patrick Reed, John Rahm, obviously, like I said. And uh, outside of that, I think it's not too surprising. You always get one random guy that pops up there like a Tom Hoagie or uh, Lanto Griffin or something like that, Henrik Norlander this year. So keep that in mind. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about some guys. This, again, this podcast will be kind of short and sweet. If you want to read some other stuff, you can go to ftndaily.com or, uh, for general golf stuff. I got equipment stuff, everything that I want to talk about on fantasygolfback.com. So let's talk about some value plays. So kind of at the top of the range, and I talk about this in my own article and in the live stream on Wednesdays, the top range is always just kind of pick your poison, right? The there's very little you can argue against anybody on any given week. And I don't care what type of course it is. I don't care if it's Jordan Spieth on an 8,000 yard golf course versus DJ. Um, there's going to be pros and cons. It's going to be either recent form or course history. Could be on those check boxes. It could be ownership. So like this week, Rom's going to be pretty popular over a Jordan Spieth and a Dustin Johnson. Where's the ownership leverage? Is it is it on a Spieth or a Johnson that um, obviously those are two very different players, but like a Jordan Spieth, who's not that much cheaper than Rom, he's going to be half the ownership most likely than Rom. Those are the kind of things that you would look to in the 10K range. They're all in play. Do you want to play all of them? Probably not, unless you're playing 150 lineups, mixing and matching, etc. But they all have great win equity, um, and yeah, you're just trying to figure out which ones make the most sense with your other player pool in terms of ownership and the guys that have the most upside for really a top six. Like I think if you pay up this high, you really need a top three or something like that. Let's most people would say they need to win. They probably do. But if you take a top three and you get your winner somewhere else, like in the AK range, that's still, that's still going to make an optimal lineup most likely, or you're, you're two, two, one third of the way there. Make sure I do the right math there. Um, so yeah, anyone over 10k is pretty much there. I would, I do want to talk about like the 8k range. Cause I think what we've seen in the past with the Millie makers, um, the $10, I don't recall seeing the $10, uh, not last year, the year before, but it's, it's very viable to build a balanced lineup. A lot of balanced lineups that have a lot of top 10 equity. And what I mean by that is everybody from your, your highest price guy to your lowest price guy have a realistic chance to finish in the top 10. Uh, like last week, if you got into the AK range, I mean, Lucas Glover blew up, but Lucas Glover is kind of hit or miss any given week, and he was 8,600. This week, you could go down into like the seven, $7,500 range. You got Kokrak there coming off a win, uh, Gary Woodland's right there, Joaquin Neiman. Those are all 
top 10 type of guys. I mean, I, you would not be surprised to see them. You got answer there at 7,900. So to the point of building balanced, um, you could basically camp out in the 9K, 8K, 7K, high 7K range. And I've seen guys win, well, I think it was two years ago, a guy finished second in the Millie Maker, and he built, basically built from 9K down. And he built out with full salary, but 9K down. You can do that this week. Major pricing is just essential um, with such a strong field. So you can definitely build with a balanced lineup and feel pretty good about your about your construction. Um, I'll quickly talk about like my top values and then I'll leave it up to my article just so I don't, um, don't give too much away. And again, I'm always on Twitter. So if you want to DM me or, or tweet at me or find me in the FTN discord, I'm always available to answer questions about one V ones or cash versus GPP, et cetera. But, uh, but yeah, so at the bottom there in the AK range, I did want to talk about, so like Daniel Berger, Terrell Hatton, Corey Connors, Louis Tazen, those guys are going to be, they should be more popular than kind of they are. I think just because the stronger field, it's it's going to even it out a little bit. But those are the guys I really want to have like one in every single lineup, at least one in every single lineup. Um, I'll even throw Zalatoris in there at 8,600. He's a little bit, he's outside the price range. I'm talking about, you know, under 8,500. But Zalatoris has been so consistent and, and he obviously has played well here already, finishing seventh uh, earlier this year in the Farmers. So, I'll include Zalatoris in that combo. So Zalatoris, Daniel Berger, Hatton, Connors, and Oosthuizen are guys that I would want to have at least one of in every single lineup. If you want to build an entire lineup with those guys, I mean, you can almost do it. Um, maybe just one more guy in the high sevens, like a Fleetwood or something, or a Fitzpatrick. But that's that's the kind of range that I would want to make sure I have a core around. Uh, most people talk about a core... And it's very it's a very loose term. They'll talk about a core, you know, it's like ten guys, which it, it's not really a core at that point unless it's unless they're all somehow fifty percent owned or sixty percent owned in one hundred fifty lineups. But in terms of a core, like the range of that eighty five and down, and those guys I just mentioned are, are really guys I want to focus around. So I would start a lineup with each one of those if I was hand building, maybe two of them, and then start building down and up from there to see what kind of salary I have left for like the last spot. Ideally, I would have higher salary than what I started left, and I could pay up for like a Rory McIlroy at 9,900 or Justin Thomas at 9,700. Like those, those would be like the final guys I would fill in. Because again, to my point, I brought this up many times before, it's a lot easier to save salary by saying like, um, I have $10,000 even left. I can play Rory McIlroy and leave 100, that's, that's fine. If I go down to 7,200, and I have 7,200 left, I'm going to be really just, your instinct is to spend 7,200. I'll, I'll be playing Charlie Hoffman, the Zayden Hoot, uh, Stuart Sink. Like, they, it could work out, but it's not always the optimal play. So I always like leaving the highest salary last, um, generally, and that helps me build you know, from the, the bottom up, and I don't have to really fight with myself over the last spot. Because honestly, I mean, Roy McIlroy, JT, I mean, that's a toss-up, right? And he's $200 different. You save, you know, $100 or $300 in salary. Not a huge difference there. So in terms of really cheap guys, I will mention um, Adam Hadwin at 6,700 has done well in these courses that scoring is not really low. Um, arguably, he's done well in courses that are kind of tight and narrow, but I do think his, his ideal 
golf tournament is where five under par wins and he shoots even par one under one over for for four days and he's 6700 so that's a pretty good value Troy Merritt I played the last couple weeks um, or I should say a couple weeks ago two weeks in a row 6500 for him he's a pretty strong value he's one of the strongest values in the 6k range for me and then Brendan Steele just below him or in the same price 6500 for Brendan Steele uh, is also a very good value this week Besides that, I haven't really gone below that. I don't think anybody, and even the guys I just mentioned in the 6K range, they're very small, top 10% equity, but I think they're worth some shots in GBPs. Outside of that, I think you should stay above 7K. Uh, try to build as balanced as you can, and even balance could be starting with a John Rahm and then playing several guys in the 7K range. It doesn't have to be a $6,200 guy with a $6,500 guy and then trying to pay up for the last four spots. Build balance around, you know, the mid-tier, around 8K. If you can pay up and then pay down and, you know, get de- decent trade-offs, that's totally fine. But, uh, yeah, the, the thing I would want to leave you with is try to build balance the most you can this week. If you're building multiple lineups, 20-plus, 150 maybe, uh, you can get a little bit more weird. But definitely limit your 6K exposure. It's just, it's just the U.S. Open. It's, you're not going to see guys win the U.S. Open out of nowhere. Um, Higo will be very popular at 7,200, which is totally understandable. I think he's a fantastic player. But uh, with the U.S. Open and his ownership and these you know 100,000-person GPPs, it just doesn't seem like it's the right trade-off this week. Um, the, the trade-off was last week at 9K. It's upper-priced, and uh, I'll wait for the next opportunity of that. So... Again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Fantasy Golf Bag Podcast for the 2021 U.S. Open. Um, can't guarantee I'll get one ever, out every week. It'll probably be once a month uh, for now. I'm just trying to get back into a normal rhythm with everything going on. But uh, definitely check out the website at fantasygolfbag.com. Follow the Fantasy Golf Bag account on Twitter, at Fantasy Golf Bag. You can find me at Red Kid Cheek and uh, drop this... Uh, Drop this episode a a like, a subscribe on iTunes, etc. All the good stuff. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Best of luck this week in the U.S. Open. And we will talk to you when we talk to you. See ya.